Hello, hello everyone. We're back with another allegory story. <laughs> My name is Tegan Aline. My name is Melanie Nevis. And today we are covering another classic folklore, medieval, European fairy tale. And we've got a good one today, I think, if I do say so myself. <laughs> I'm excited for it. I love Little Red Riding Hood. Oh, yeah. sorry. It's Little Red Riding Hood. <laughs> yeah, it's Little Red Riding Hood. No, that's okay. I really buried the lead on that one. So I think it's... <laughs> Totally, totally fine. <laughs> Somebody needed to say it, you know. There you go. So today, um, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was just going to say, as you can probably tell, I've kind of lost my voice a little. So uh, bear with me if you can't quite hear me too well. I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> Mel has lost her voice, but she sounds super cute. So like, I mean, in terms of this being a podcast, Aww. I think it's okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> You know how it works? It's kind of adorable. <laughs> and I know I know it's not good for your vocal cords or anything. But. No. I'm sure that if I try to sing, I could actually sound like a sultry jazz singer, but it would destroy my vocal cords. But it also kind of sounds like, you know, the really good voices that belong to people who drink and smoke a lot. Yeah, like on yeah. Friends when Phoebe gets a cold. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and she's singing about that. this song. And she's got this, like, everybody thinks she's so awesome. And then when she gets her voice back, they're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> she's not so great. <laughs> Today we're going to be talking about Little Red Riding Hood. And when I started doing research for this on this story, I had no idea, like most of these podcasts we've done so far, I had no idea that this was going to take me down this road. Why does it keep taking me down a road that leads to weird <laughs> French stuff? I don't fucking know. Is that Charles Perrault guy? <laughs> not even in this case. No, even. I know. Like, yes, but also no. And it's... <laughs> And for context, for anyone who's listening, um, in case you haven't listened to the other podcasts, I'm from Canada, but I moved to France, like, I think seven or eight years ago. And almost every single episode we've done, like, sure, these are European fairy tales, but I had no, I had no realization that this was going to get so, like, so many of these would get so connected to France. And I just keep finding all these connections and, and they're bizarre. So anyways, Little Red Riding Hood, let's get into it. Um, the story is famously titled that, but it's also been titled Little Red Cap or Red Riding Hood. The hood is very prominent <laughs> in most of the stories that we know today. And yeah, I think that for me personally, ever since I was a little kid listening to this story, it's always felt dark. I think it's meant to feel dark and ominous and spooky, right? Yeah, I think so. I think it's meant as a cautionary tale in a way. Yeah. For young girls. Yeah. I think like when I look at it, it's like there's no other way to swing it that it's a story about unassuming predators mm -hmm. and to be aware of sly people and, and this kind of thing. And I think that's quite obvious based on the story but then once you kind of I feel like in modern times this story has been dissected into so many different viewpoints and perspectives and they're all very interesting so um I will get to kind of sharing all of those towards the end but first I just wanted cool. to recount the classic story 
that we know a little bit. Because I think, I, I don't, I'm not sure, but I feel like in some of the other ones, I didn't really get into the stories. And I'm like, but isn't that the whole fun of it is like actually telling the story. <laughs> so I've changed my tune on that. So anyways, <laughs> the story of Little Red Riding Hood goes like this. <laughs> There's a little girl, and oh, it also it's going to be told my way, which is probably going to be ridiculous, but anyway. There's, <laughs> there's a little girl and her mom, and they live in a cottage, like, on the edge of a forest. And the mom, for some reason, decides that she's going to send her five-year-old, I don't know how old Little Red Riding Hood is, but, like, send her super small daughter out into the forest because their grandmother so like the mother's mother but little red riding hood's grandmother lives out in the forest and she's sick so she sends little red riding hood with a basket that has like food and medicine and stuff and then like gives her the cape and when she leaves the house her mom says to be very careful stick to the path don't deviate Mm -hmm. from the path and like don't you know, don't talk to anybody, just like stick to what you're doing and get to your grandma's house. So she still is trying to warn her to be careful. So Little Red Riding Hood, off she goes, tra-la-la, into the forest with her little basket and her little red hood. (laughs) And she's walking (laughs) through the forest. And all of a sudden, this is when we start to see the wolf. And the wolf kind of is just lurking around in the shadows of the forest and he sees her and right away he's like whoa that looks like good food (laughs) food food you know yeah that with like quotes around it (laughs) you read what you a young tasty thing Ew. Uh, I'm already well, creeped. true. I'm already creeped out. I haven't even gotten to the worst part. I'm already icked. Ew. Okay. Okay. Yep. Anyway. Yep. Yep. So she's walking through the woods, minding her own business, <laughs> like usual. <laughs> this this uh, guy, I mean wolf, uh, shows up and is like, hey, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> and she's like, oh, I'm just like going to my grandma's house. And he's like, you're going to your grandma's house, eh? And basically, he starts talking to her and through kind of sneakily talking to her and she's very nice and open. He kind of figures out where she's going and what she's doing. And immediately he's like intrigued because he wants to eat the grandma and her. And he's like, yummy. Yay. This is going to (laughs) be a meal. Is there anything I'm missing in this middle part here where they're talking? Because no, as not I know, really. No, I don't think so. It's it's like the little details of like, well, there's nicer flowers over there, and blah blah blah. But that's essentially. Yeah. But I think that is important though, because that part is she does deviate off the path, right? Like he yeah. tests her. He tests her to see if she'll stay on the path or not, and she does deviate off the path, and then he knows he can kind of like get to her. You know what I mean? Yeah. That is actually kind of an important part. So anyways, all of that stuff happens. (laughs) (laughs) If there's anything else that should be added here, feel free, Mel. Um, I think that's the gist of it. Uh, Yeah, I think that's the main thing. She kind of goes off the path when he's like, oh, but there are really nice flowers over here. And she's like, "Mm, okay, I want to be nice for granny. 
Oh, right. So she's like picking flowers for her granny and she goes off the path. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of sad because you know, like almost anybody would do that. Like anybody that like cares about their grandma would probably want to go get the nice flowers. You know what I mean? Certainly any naive child's. Oh, okay. That's unaware of – no, I think any naive child that's unaware of the dangers lurking. Like if you were told to go on a path as an adult, you were told to go on a path and you're like, oh, I know that there are nice flowers over there, but this is grizzly bear territory and I know that there are grizzly bears here. Like you oh, would yeah, have true. to be really smart to plan out – and like really know their habits and stuff to plan out when you could get to that other side so that you don't get mauled by a bear. That's a, that's a good point. Yeah, like you're right. I'm like if I was on a path. You'd be a little bit more strategic about it if you are aware of the dangers that lurk there. Um, and then And then sure, but you'd think about it first and kind of I think – I'd like to think you'd try and devise some sort of plan rather than just blindly being like, I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah, that's, I, I, I want to, I wish I could say that's true for myself. <laughs> to I be completely kind of honest. Like, Ooh, flowers over there, nice, you know, but that's. To maybe. be completely honest, I think that most of us would probably be like, ooh, flowers over there. You're right about the grizzly bear part, though. I would be pretty particular <laughs> about that. Anyways, that's another right? story for another time. <laughs> My I mean, wolf, grizzly, like they're both kind of terrifying. Trust, yeah, <laughs> they are. Um, so, anyways, okay, we digress. So, <laughs> she gets to so basically the wolf disappears and she doesn't see him anymore. And she's like, okay, so she's like going on her way, and then she gets to the granny's house. And she kind of feels like immediately like something is off. And she knocks on the door and she's like, Granny, are you there? And then she just hears her grandma saying, oh, come in, you know. So she walks inside and immediately she can kind of tell that her granny's voice sounds like maybe a little funny. And then she sees that her granny's like all tucked in her bed. And she's like, why why are you in your bed? And Granny's like, oh, I'm not really feeling well. And then she, he, the granny's like, come closer, come closer. So Little Red Riding Hood gets closer. And then she, there's this like very famous part of the story where when she says, wow, granny, what big eyes you have. And the granny says, or the wolf says, better to see you with my dear. And mm-hmm. basically what has happened is that the wolf has, while Little Red Riding Hood was distracted, he's hopped along the path, run up to the house and already eaten her grandma and now is waiting for her. (laughs) (laughs) So there's this whole kind of song and dance in the story. What big eyes you have better to see you with my dear. What big ears you have better to hear you with my dear. Wow. What big teeth you have better to eat you with. Right. And then he just like, yeah, (laughs) goes all in. And and eats a uh, little red riding hood. But somewhere, somewhere wah, wah. else wah, wah. <laughs> somewhere <laughs> else in the woods, there is a huntsman that has been tracking the wolf. And just in the nick of time, this huntsman finds the cabin and finds the wolf 
and he's sleeping and his belly is super fat like when a a snake eats a chicken because he's Mm -hmm. got the granny and Little Red Riding Hood in his belly. And the huntsman knows that he's done something bad. So he immediately just like slices the stomach of the wolf open and the wolf's like howling in pain. And then, you know, like magically the, the grandma and little red riding hood come out because digestion isn't real in fairy tales. I was just thinking there are no digestive juices in fairy tales. Like there's no burns. There's no nothing. Nope. So, and, and that's, pretty much the story and I think most of us know this one as as like um a fairy tale like something that we read like in Grimm's fairy tales when we were kids Mm -hmm. I'd say Grimm's fairy tale is the most famous version and I think this is that version um and but it's not really one it has been in very recent years done in a few different scenarios in media, but it's not like some of the other stories that we've covered in the past, like Cinderella or things like that, that have been done to death, like over and over right. and over again. Yeah. yeah. This one. And I think because this one's so dark, it kind of like, you can only treat it with dark subject matter almost, you know? So here's a little side note. Um, Cause I watch Eurovision and a couple of years ago, oh my gosh. Were they from Norway or something like that? Um, there's a a group and they did a song about um, uh, before the wolf eats the grandma, give that wolf a banana. <laughs> and so every time you were talking and <laughs> you were just, just like, like I had that going wolf in a banana. Oh my god, Eurovision is such a magical, but. <laughs> It's literally like the shame of Europe, but also it's like oh, I know. you can't look away. I know. It's so good. You can't look away. Good. The production value is insane. Anyways, I digress. It was just while you were like, Grandma, what big eyes you have in my head. I was like, yeah, before that wolf eats my grandma, give that wolf a banana. You, I think we should title this episode, <laughs> Before That Wolf Eats My Grandma, Give That Wolf a Banana. <laughs> like, I what the oh hell? I'm looking that up after. I'm gonna, that. I'm gonna send it to you. It's hilarious. <laughs> okay. Anyways, continue. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the story that most of us know about. Like, not the banana part, guys. The other stuff before. <laughs> The, the story before that. But there have been, I mean, that would have made things easier. Anyways, okay. <laughs> like he just needed potassium, you know? Um, yeah, exactly. There have been many, many cons- comparisons of different stories, like uh, when it comes to Little Red Riding Hood. So some scholars have compared this story to old Roman and Greek stories usually the ones that involve virgins being sacrificed to dark spirits which oh good you could kind of see the alignment there but there's also been and I think this is interesting and something we talked about in our other podcasts on this topic of fairy tales is that I don't know for me Little Red Riding Hood always felt like a German story Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's because well, of the forest or what. I, I mean, feel like that's because the Grimm brothers 
took it and kind of made changes to it that were more um, that reflected their upbringing a little bit more. Um, yeah. And they grew up in Germany. I think that's probably why. And that's the version that we are most accustomed to. Yeah. So it's really interesting that we noticed in a lot of the other stories that when they have this like Germanic feeling to them, it tends to be that maybe they're actually related to like a Norse story. There's possibility. It's, I think, speculation. I'm obviously not like an academic researcher in this topic. So maybe some academics have researched that fully, but um, there have been like a lot of Norse comparisons in this, um, including there is a poem in the Elder Edda. Do you know this like famous Norse book that's kind of like all about the tales of like all of the Norse gods and stuff? I don't know. I might yeah, be picturing the name yeah, of that. I've heard, I've heard of. But there's a poem in there that's very similar to this story. And even like the kind of like the idea of the aggressive wolf and the young girl, it, it kind of like adds up. But also Sol, the Norse sun goddess, is killed by Skull, which is a giant wolf. And that's often another comparison that people say this story could have started as far back as like Norse folklore and tales cool. in that way. So like you were saying before, the Brothers Grimm version is kind of like the most recognized. But again, of course, our guy, Charles Perrault, who we've talked about in this podcast before and will probably continue to do because he did a lot in the fucking 17th mm -hmm. century. <laughs> Yeah. Um, has also made some notable contributions to, to the story. Uh, but even still, there's many, many pre-17th century and 18th century versions of the story in Europe. There's also different versions of it through other countries, like in Algeria, um, Taiwan, China, Korea, Japan, and even parts of Russia, there are often stories with this wolf young girl dynamic. And like you said, it's clear that it's, it's, it's a, it's a warning, this whole story. Yeah. Is a warning. So that would kind of make sense. Right. Yeah. Did you look into some of these versions like of, of the ones that you kind of looked into, which one is your favorite? Um, would you say? I didn't dive. I didn't dive into those versions no. of that just because mm -hmm. they're, was, there's a lot <laughs> there's a lot to go there's so many but yeah. ultimately I've read I've read varying versions I used to have this book when I was younger that was kind of like story different like scary folklore from like around the world and I've mm -hmm. read different versions of that um of, of these kind of like wolf little girl werewolf type scenarios I don't yeah. know they were never my favorite wolves have never been my thing I've always been like a vampire girl <laughs> to be honest. Okay, fair enough. And a witch girl. So, I mean, yeah. I never really, wolves and zombies have always kind of been like the two things for me. I'm like, mm, uh, okay. Yeah. You know, like I know I didn't, I wasn't right away growing up with this story. I was kind of like, I, you kind of get the, the vibe. <laughs> Anybody gets the vibe. So I was just never, I was never very into it. Um, but also there's biblical versions in similar so situations. So the story of Jonah and the whale 
where Jonah gets swallowed by the whale and he's kind of got to like yeah. bust his way out. People have made oh. comparisons to that story. And, interesting. Uh, okay. Story, and one that I thought was really interesting was another biblical story of a saint called Saint Margaret in this epic tale of the Red Path, and ultimately this woman is a saint, and she's eaten by a dragon, but she manages to emerge from his stump stomach, and uh, I can't remember. Wow, was she? busted out or did she have a knife on her and like busted her own way out she's a saint so she might oh well so she just miraculously came out there's (laughs) never mind there could be there are like a bunch of tales like biblical folklore can you even say Mm -hmm. that i guess you can biblical folklore from around the south of france that i have seen in relation to stories of, of women with dragons and they're really interesting um but I plan to kind of get into those like in another series at another time. Of course. Of course. I'd have to say for all of these versions of stories all around the world, it's the biblical ones. I find them to be quite interesting. I don't know why, but those are the ones I tend to gravitate to before anything else. But what's really, really interesting is that what researchers have kind of found on this is that this story doesn't actually originate like I kind of always thought it originated in Germany mm-hmm. <laughs> but in fact people peasants French peasants have been telling stories like this to their families since the 10th century yeah. that's pre-Cathar again another story for another time but like that's <laughs> a freaking long time ago really really it's a long, long time, time ago, ago. Yeah. to be telling to be telling this kind of like cautionary tale and I think it's doubly interesting because they're also in the 10th century France is not France Spain is not Spain like yeah these are all smaller regions kind of divided up and they're Mm -hmm. kind of battling each other for power um, or trying to stop themselves from being taken over by more powerful figures or like you know they are places where there's like political turbulence So it's very interesting that this is the kind of form that would be built around the story of like, be careful of strangers, basically. Yeah. Because in that era, like, you know, a stranger could be trying to legitimately kill you and take over your village. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. When it really becomes a popular folktale is in Italy in the 14th century. And there are tons of different versions, right? So sometimes the wolf is not a wolf, but he's a werewolf. And I thought, yeah, that was quite interesting. That is interesting. So where, when did the werewolf thing come up? Was that in Italy? So there was actually werewolf trials happening in France in and around the 16th century. So no, it's a bit later on. Werewolf trials? Yes. So this is the coolest thing that I kind of, one of the coolest things that I kind of stumbled across. And again, I did not, I had no idea that this was going to like fall me back down a French rabbit hole. Like I don't, (laughs) I don't even know. Yeah. So basically when I was reading up on it, it says, you know, it's also very popular in 14th century Italy. And then there are these versions where, you know, the wolf becomes a werewolf. And then there are, 
like within reference to that, there are actually cases, marked cases in France of werewolf trials from the 16th century. So this is really, really interesting. It's kind of like just before the, like the century before the rise of like Versailles and all of those things we talked about in yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. some of the other episodes. And, um, and it's like, in the countryside so that's drastically drastically a whole different setting and scenario but basically there were a couple of men that were tried as werewolves and part of the trial was that they were convicted of cannibalism so there's actually like yeah there's actually like marked kind of like you can google it Like you can cool. Get, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. I think I will. That seems really, really interesting. So, um, because I'm, I have so many questions. Um, so this was men who would be marked as cannibals being tried as werewolves. 16th century Not- countryside France is the same period in which witch trials are happening a lot. Mm-hmm. So this is post catharsis. How frequent? Which is the beginning of crusades and the beginning of witch trials, but it's going on for these years. I mean, in terms of how frequent, they have like two or three marked cases. Okay, so it is a very rare thing. It's not necessarily, it's not necessarily common. It seems my feeling on it, and again, it's complete speculation, but my feeling on it is like, when a woman was getting up to something that she didn't seem like she should be getting up to in a village in the middle of the Catholic church, kind of like coming in and taking over everything and unifying with France, she became a witch. But on the side of a man, they didn't actually have like the concept of like warlocks or wizards or anything. They became Mm -hmm. werewolves, I think. And I've often thought that werewolves were kind of like a representation of like a symbol for animalism, like taking over your being. So I feel like you could kind of, it would almost interestingly enough make sense that like you would try men for being werewolves, women for being rich, witches, but... But it's interesting that they chose werewolves because in a lot of Eastern European countries, like, you know, people were thought to be vampires. And then if that person died, a lot of things would be put in place to prevent them from rising up again, right? They would put stuff in their mouth and they would be down. One of the things that I had kind of come across, and it wasn't actually my research for this, it was just like in my like social media scrolls. So I don't have the reference for it. But one of the things that I had come across in the summer was that the fact that um, basically France within the Alps and in the mountain regions, but like pretty much most of the areas that I live in or visit was kind of like riddled with wolves mm-hmm. in this period of time. And to yeah, this totally. day, in like they, they had wolves everywhere. And, yeah. you know, the situation is currently that wolves went extinct here because they were hunted to death and now they've been they've been slowly reintroducing wolves back into the alps and into the pyrenees as like a controlled like a controlled species the way that they're re they're reintroducing bears because bears also went extinct 
and also I think all over Europe and they're trying to do that like in a lot of countries in Europe they're slowly starting to and they're they're meant with a lot of like at least in France it's usually met with a lot of resistance people do not want natural predators back um, in wildlife they absolutely don't because so many of the people out here rely really heavily and this takes a turn more into like cultural political stuff even in modern day countryside France but mm-hmm. a lot of people here rely on like they're still sheep herding yeah you know what I mean like in the summer half of the, the villages around me they actually have those festivals where they take all of their livestock out of like the lowlands and bring them up into the highlands and like all the villages around me have those festivals every year and it's super fun to watch but of course in the mountains in the highlands part is that's where the predators are so they don't necessarily it's still a very strong culture but they don't necessarily Mm -hmm. always have enough people or dogs or whatever to like watch the the flocks and you know like sometimes some of their flocks get picked off by bears and and really honestly not wolves very often honestly not bears very often but it can happen it doesn't have yeah it's like that in Portugal too where they're if they're moving their herds around um they really rely on herding dogs to kind of tip them off to any wolves in the area and it's super super rare Mm -hmm. but it does occasionally happen yeah especially when they're going like up into the bear territory it's like well you just basically brought them dinner so it's kind of like a whose territory is it really like the humans who have been here forever or the bears who are new but technically we're here first you know like it's that whole conversation yeah i I get it we live very much in the middle of that political discourse living out here so we we have yeah I personally am on the the animal side me Michael and I as well um but a a lot of the people that have lived out here I understand lives are are not just I understand why it's their livelihood and everything like that but like we've also forced things into extinction and it has massive repercussions I think it's a combination of it's their livelihood, but no, there's a lot of people that are also just against the bears and the wolves out here that, that actually don't understand the situation. Yeah, that's fair. They're, they're just, it's like even bless her. My husband's grandmother, she feels the same way. Like she's, she doesn't, she lives in a city. She doesn't know anything. She has, doesn't live in the countryside, doesn't need to deal with wolves, but because she's an older woman, she grew up with all these all of these stories about wolves, especially out here. Yeah. She's yeah. She's like, I don't want them here. Which leads me to kind <laughs> of like, which leads me to something interesting because this is one of the other things I kind of came across in my, in my like just random looking, walking, walking, looking, reading, reading things in the summer was that, Like we said earlier, there was actually werewolf trials. And Michael told me this summer that in the 1700s, so around the 18th century, so again, we're jumping in time again, there is actually a famous French account called La Bête de Givendron. And it's important because it says La Bête, L-A, which means it's feminine. And so this is a story about a wolf-like monster Mm -hmm. that kills about a hundred people. 
And this, and when it happens, it usually happens in strange circumstances. This is a very famous story throughout the entire country. I had heard huh. it on a video and I said, Hey, do you know this story? And Michael was like, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Everybody knows that story. <laughs> I'm like, wow. <laughs> in his French way. <laughs> yeah. 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 In, uh, in South Dordogne. So this is, I would say that's probably about, I want to say approximately five to six hours, I think, north of where we live. But there's still like kind of like the Black Mountains and it's there's still, well, a lot of countryside out there. But this is where that was said to have happened. And it's considered a massacre. And also it seems to be that it was a woman that was like transforming into a werewolf. And like, if you get into the story, if you read it a bit more, it's usually like, there's something to do. Like her heart is broken and she's angry. And that's why she's kind of like lashing out. But I thought it was interesting because it's another case of like, wolves are really vilified, like in terms of like folklore (laughs) in France and, and, you know, like Germany, Italy as well. So it's it's really interesting how that is all happening. And then is it really even a surprise that stories like Little Red Riding Hood come into existence? They're kind of, wolves are kind of positioned as like the ultimate villain in a right. lot of these, in a lot of these stories, you know? So anyways, back to the most popular story. Um, there are so many versions in terms of even just the most popular story, like how it ends, right? There's versions where the granny and then Little Red Riding Hood are just like eaten right away. There's versions where they escape without a help from a man. There's versions where they escape with the help from a huntsman. And there are versions where the grandma is hiding in the closet And the huntsman saves Little Red Riding Hood before she gets eaten. So I feel like I've heard almost all of those variants growing up at some point or another. Like it's always in the ending. The ending always gets tweaked. I don't think I've ever heard a version where they save themselves. Oh, really? Sadly. I would have loved to hear that version. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess it's because maybe a lot of people think that they couldn't, but I don't know. Like, I'm not saying that they couldn't. Of course, I think they could, but it's probably just because. Oh, it's it. Social. We live in a patriarchal society. Oh, is that what that is? Oh. Oh, maybe. I don't know. (laughs) What is really, really interesting is that, of course, okay, when this story starts to get like famous the way we know it is again with Charles Perrault because he is kind of like the first before the Grimm brothers in terms of writing this like big group of fairy tales. We've talked about it in the other podcasts, you guys. I think we talked about it in Cinderella podcast, like what was going on in Versailles at the time uh, um, of all of these fairy tales coming out. And it's very interesting. So if you haven't listened to that podcast, go back and listen to it and then come back here and we'll keep going. So in his version, and his version often is like his stories are often like they feel kind of groomy to me in a way, but often it's kind of like preparing girls for something, right? So in his version, they just get eaten by the wolf and that's the end of it. And he is also the one 
And this is kind of the most notable thing about him is that he is the one that introduces the red cape for the first time into the story. Prior to this, there's no necessarily the cape, the color of the red riding hood is not necessarily Mm -hmm. um, a point of the story. And it's funny because now that's like the, the iconic imagery. I also feel like there's something symbolic of the color red though. There is. So he, he makes it, he makes it a point to give detail of red for the hood for the first time. And it becomes really, really heavily symbolic as the story progresses at the time when he added the red riding hood, the red hood, it's associated actually with power and it has a past association with war. So it's potentially he's bringing out this this idea of war and conflict. This is maybe like and and again we've talked about it in in past episodes um what what Versailles was ultimately trying to do at the time was like trying to convince all the nobles to come in and be at the court there and they were trying to convince everybody that society was like really living it up but ultimately only the rich people were living it up the poor people were suffering so this might be a warning in a way I'm speculating but it could be like a warning in a way of like remember the things that happened before that was the danger and actually, you should be happy that you have what you have, even if you have nothing. You know, you know what I mean? Okay, because I would have seen it as, you know, the color of maturity. But I guess that's a very more feminist stance. Oh, because I kind of. There. Okay. <laughs> okay. Because the color, like I said, the color takes on different forms just like the story it takes on different forms and different meanings like as the story ages and I think for for us growing up in the period that we grew up that idea about red would we would relate it to kind of almost like puberty maturing um yeah and the juxtaposition of having the wolf who is like a predator and like predators love to go after young girls as they're just starting to mature. So like, it kind of like makes a lot of sense or you could look at that as her point of power, but we'll get to that anyways, because really people have taken it, taken many perspectives, but ultimately his point of making it red was to connect Mm -hmm. it with something in relation to power and in relation to war and wealth and the past and to be careful you know what I mean but what I thought was the most interesting about this in the end was that the brothers Grimm are actually the first people to come along and rewrite the ending where she's saved and I think that's really interesting that is interesting with all of these versions that we're looking at well specifically with the brothers Grimm and they have several different versions as well and Charles Perrault I think it's also important to point out the fact that regardless of whether or not they meant to, these are not stories that they just pulled out of their heads and like out of thin air. They spoke to people. And Mm -hmm. traditionally, I think a lot of these stories were handed down and passed down through women. So you're right. Maybe um, Perrault included the red coat or the red cape and 
it's for all the reasons that you're saying about like what was going on in Versailles at the time and French political things, but maybe he actually heard a version and, you know, the, the tale that was told from mother to daughter as this cautionary tale included that as a form of symbolism as well, that just took on a different meaning than maybe what he equated it to. Oh, this is very, very possible. This is very possible. And I mean, like, that's like, if you research Little Red Riding Hood and look it up, that's what that says. But again, that's probably not written from a matriarchal or feminine perspective. So I can totally see your point on that. And I wouldn't disagree with it at all. So who knows, maybe he, maybe he took the cape and made it something that he meant. But if you told me that you had proof that he stole that idea from a woman, I wouldn't be shocked. (laughs) Let's put it that way. (laughs) I wouldn't be shocked. Again, speculating, but he, he, he stole a lot of, he actually stole a lot of stuff, I think from his niece or something. So yeah, you had mentioned that before. Yeah. So, um, wouldn't surprise me. (laughs) Yeah. But once we get into the 1800s, most versions of this story from then on out, like after the Grimm create the first, the first ending as writers in writing in a literary context where she gets saved, because she could have been saved in other versions before, but they're Mm -hmm. the first ones that put that into actual writing. And after, through that at that point it seems to continue on that she gets saved in the end so then we jump from like the 1800s we jump into the 20th century because this is where really the majority of the dissection of this story starts to happen folklorists and cultural anthropologists are like dissecting the story on a whole new level and they start to draw connections to the nature cycles so the red hood could represent the cycle of a woman or could represent the sun being swallowed by darkness and when she's out of the belly she's re-emerging as the dawn again connections to the Norse Ragnarok and and Skoll, the wolf swallowing the sun kind of come back up and around. So a lot of people also interpret Little Red Riding Hood as a puberty rite. So leaving home and going through the challenges of the story. And then after emerging out of the wolf's belly, like story girl that you had to get eaten by a wolf, but now you're a woman. I mean, it's bitter, but I mean, it's real. (laughs) It's it's real. Well, there's lots of symbolism there that can be taken that way for sure. Also, there's been um, comparisons uh, to the whole story being a depiction of rape and control over the scenario or like um, incest within the family. And I've actually... I read something when I was really young about this and it, I, I was like too young. I can't even remember. I probably shouldn't have been reading this paper at this point in their analysis of the story. Little red riding hood was going to her grandmother's house and her mother is trying to warn her about her grandfather being an inappropriate man. And the wolf is the grandfather. Oh, Interesting. The, the version that I have kind of heard or like the symbolism that I've kind of heard is that 
Uh, taking the path is the long way. Um, and that's like pleasuring yourself. It's a long way around. And then cutting through is a shortcut, but it's like being pleasured oh. by a man. But it leads to disaster. That's kind of like a symbol, symbol, a symbolistic thing that I've heard of before with Little Red Riding Hood. So it's kind of um, telling you to be careful with yeah. men and to not fool around with them, basically, because it will end badly. Essentially, I think that's what makes the story in a way so flexible as a cautionary tale is that all of those scenarios kind of fit. It could be all of those things, right? Like at the like we said at the very beginning. Yeah, the they do. Core, it's like this is a cautionary tale about predators, and predators have been around since the freaking flipping dawn yeah. of time, apparently. <laughs> yeah, and they come in all sorts of different shapes and forms, and you can kind of take that story then and apply it to different scenarios and situations. So, from a few other perspectives that I I found while I was researching this. The, through the feminist lens, sometimes the, again, the red cape could be looked at as a, a symbol of male dom dominance over women. Kind of going back to that Perrault version of like red being, meaning power, war, control, you know? And I, again, I think if you look at, like, I'm very interested in colors. If you backtrack the color red historically, I could see where that could work. And that's very much, very, very much in a patriarchal, again, context. So, but also there's a Marxist perspective on it, which I thought Ooh, what's the Marxist perspective? quite interesting. And the Marxist perspective is really neat because from the Marxist perspective, the cape is a symbol of an attempt to hold power. The wolf is the upper, upper class who strips it away those who seek to challenge society will be punished or destroyed by it. Which again, kind of like falls back into that original, or not the original, but the original written version by Charles Perrault, like that idea. Like, yeah. But it's not the end because, you know, there's been a lot, there's been a lot of really intelligent people, far more intelligent than me, breaking all of this down and researching this. <laughs> And then what the fuck happens? Oh, the 2000s come along and they just mm -hmm. fuck it all up. <laughs> uh, so Tegan just did a weird facial body reaction. That was great. <laughs> have, you ever, that <laughs> have you ever seen that meme on the internet that's like, it's a little girl and she's got like, swim floaties on and a scuba thing and the scuba thing's all screwed up on her face and she's trying to get the swim floaties off and she's kind of like this and then just over top it's like fuck this shit that was you just now <laughs> that was me just now <laughs> that's essentially what the 2000s have done to this story so one of the things I love to do um it's not really research it's more just for uh pop culture relevance as I love to search the the stories on like on social media just to see what comes up like yeah. what are people talking about in relation to these stories at the moment and what did you find oh, what did I find <laughs> well a oh, lot no. of people really I don't know if you've ever seen the film Into the Woods from 2014 
I don't think so. So this is kind of like a musical and it, it it was a musical theater production that turned into a movie. Meryl Streep is in it and there's a ton of really good actors in it. So I would suggest a watch to everybody just because it's it's cool. And it covers a lot of the fairy tales that we are talking about, um, including Little Red Riding Hood, because again, you don't see the adaptation of this very often in our current media. But in this one, in this one, so in Into the Woods, it kind of follows the basic structure. So it's a little girl in the forest and Johnny Depp plays the wolf. And I thought he does a really, really good um, adaptation of like the classical story tale wolf that we think of. Because I think, I don't know, for me growing up, Little Red Riding Hood, it's scary but they also put some like lighthearted cheekiness about the wolf is kind of like sly, you know, like even in Shrek, they open up this chamber bed and the wolf's in there and he's like, what? You know, like there's these representations where, you know, like they're trying to like de like take the scariness away from the wolf. Yeah. He still growls and does a lot of weird shit and makes me uncomfortable, like in Into the Woods. But the whole section of that movie where they do the Little Red Riding Hood story and he's in the bed and he's like got the glasses like up and the blanket pulled over his face. It's quite good. Like it's quite (laughs) on point for the classical tale. So that one came out in 2014. I think we've talked about it more than once. What is that TV show? I started watching it. It's so hard for me to finish. Once Upon a Time? Yeah. Once Upon a Time. It's so long. And I can't even remember when that started. When did that show come out? Oh, gosh. I'm going to look it up. Because there's also a Little Red Riding Hood character in that show as well. But she's... Oh, yeah. Okay. So it comes out, the first season debuts on October 23rd, 2011. And 2011 is a weird year for this story because (laughs) this episode, this show comes out and the way that they depict Little Red Riding Hood is totally different, right? So she's tall. She's fucking gorgeous she's got the cape it's very sexual it becomes very sexualized and there's Mm -hmm. also a movie that comes out in 2011 called red riding hood but it's so funny because of course like every other horror story that we have from the 10th century till now in this era we turn everything into like an overjuiced sexualized teen romance (laughs) Yeah, well, that's what makes the bucks in the theaters and stuff. So literally, the majority of like what people are talking about in context to Little Red Riding Hood, at least on TikTok right now, is like this movie where the the wolf is no longer an old, spooky, predatory man wolf, but it's like a young, cute boy who she's like trying to get the attention of the the classic like pick me girl syndrome that twin flames you know like they're meant to be together yeah. but they're not meant to be together and like this whole right so anyways all this to say is i feel like where we're at currently in the red riding hood saga is that it's actually been distilled down into a hyper sexualized little red riding hood which i think 
says a lot about the time that we're living in right now not to sound like an old lady but mm-hmm. like but damn <laughs> but damn yeah and really totally it was between that and all of the sexy little red riding hood costumes and i think it's kind of strange <laughs> and interesting and weird that this goes from being a story of warning to like sexualizing mm-hmm. the wolf oh also mm-hmm. i came across some like weird retelling little red riding hood like I don't know if it's porn, if it comes in a storybook, but it's like, <laughs> you know, like retelling the story. So like in in a Fifty Shades of Grey kind of way, you know what I mean? Interesting. I mean, I, I feel like this all, this kind of started with the whole Twilight thing and, and then people have just run with it yeah, since. I mean, I think it's true. Yeah. I think you're probably right. Cause I like, I've really loved vampires well before Twilight came along, but Twilight really zhuzhed it up for the teenagers, didn't it? Yep. Yeah. And we will talk and... about that in an upcoming episode. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we will. I've got shit to say. I've been to Forks by accident. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> plan to go there, but it's. Did you know, okay, one thing that actually kind of relates to this in and around the wolf thing is that like, Mm -hmm. did you know that in Twilight, the, the whole premise of the, the indigenous kids that like turn into wolves once they get older, that actually comes from their lore, from their reserve in Forks. Oh, that's really cool. I didn't know that. That beach, La Push, is like connected in with the reserve and when Michael and I were there, like we drove there by accident. And then we were like, why yeah. is there a vampire reader here? Where the fuck are we? <laughs> and we kind of realized we were there. And then so we started looking around. And actually, I went into the tourism office and they have a little booklet you can buy that tells you like the whole the whole um, indigenous mythology that that the indigenous people from that area are actually you know because like a lot of indigenous beliefs uh like they the stories that they actually come from animals right so yes their ancestors are the wolves not only are their ancestors the wolves but their ancestors are the sea wolves the same sea wolves that are in that oh, nice. documentary yeah yeah Vancouver Island on Netflix because La Push is like that's why we were up there we were taking the ferry to go to Vancouver Island it's like very close you know what I mean so all along that coast there's a a community of wolves that can like swim in the sea and like eat seafood and stuff and it's yeah the sea wolves are super cool I love that that's from their culture and it was actually an authentic yeah. thing that was taken. I Hopefully it was taken and used with their permission. That was my understanding while I was there. I mean, okay. okay, all the, no, what my understanding was that I don't think she did ask for permission at that time. No, right. but I think the whole area has kind of tried to use it to their advantage to spread awareness Mm -hmm. around it so I don't know it's really hard to say especially when you're just like driving through for a day but I kind of wanted to circle it around to that to wolves because in general I think like wolves are really demonized throughout history and and it runs really really deep like we're not talking about human predators now like I understand mixing a human predator with a wolf we're just talking about the animal of wolves but they're like Mm -hmm. deeply 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 misunderstood creatures and there's a lot of fear 
that exists in like this country to this day about them that is honestly after centuries kind of baseless like we know so much more about wolves now we know that they're not anything like these predators like what people thought and also a cool fact again related to another episode that we're going to talk about later this whole thing I just realized from doing this research that in Anne Rice's book um, I think it's in it must be an interview with a vampire Lestat is recounting like his early life he's from France and he's from the area where this La Bette like the story about this female uh, wolf comes from she puts him in that period of time and he kills a great wolf there so that's anyways oh I didn't even realize that I know interesting it's cool anyways that's really cool it's and this is something that we'll see as we expand on this series people take ideas from other stories and mix them with their stories and like yeah get this really entangled web of 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 literature and media and some of it's awful and trashy and some of it's well I'm okay trashy is not the right word some of it's like hypersexualized trashy some of it's hypersexualized some of it's awesome (laughs) and there's plenty in between but Yes. That's Little Red Riding Hood. Cool. <laughs> well, thank you. Oh, that was really cool. I didn't know about a lot of things that you had talked about. So uh, that's really cool. I really want to do more research into the werewolf trials and what that actually You see, if I had well. gotten deep into that, we would be here like forever. <laughs> I'm going to go deep into it and we're going to talk about it in the future, I think. <laughs> so that's Little Red Riding Hood. You know, we got into a lot of stuff. We didn't get to cover everything in depth, but hopefully as we are building out this podcast, we're going to, cir- I assume that we will be circling back around to some of these things. So that'll be, Definitely. Ev- like we've like we've pointed out many times, a lot of this stuff is interconnected, right? So I'm sure we'll be here again. Yeah probably talking about the werewolf trials yeah werewolves in general but yeah the werewolf trials i wonder if they happened anywhere else as well Mm. anyways that's research for me to do for a different day yay well thank you so much uh everybody for listening we hope you found this interesting and informative what's the one coming up after this again can you remind me Uh, that's a good question um after this my page is loading very, very slowly. Is The Little Mermaid. Ooh, oh, that's a really good one. You taught me yeah. some stuff I did not know. So anyways, definitely check out the next po- next podcast on Little Mermaid. It's not as dark, but it's still kind of dark and very interesting. Very, very interesting. <laughs> I love mermaids. I like Little Mermaid. Yeah, I like that one. Anyways, <laughs> thanks for listening. Okay. We'll see you next time. See you guys soon. Bye. I don't know why I'm waving. (laughs) Nobody can see that.